Well, uh, hey, Mike. Hey, Colin. How's it going? It's going. Long time no chat on Skype. Yes. It's been, what, it's been like two weeks? Uh, something like that. I'm, uh, yeah, something like that. So this is our last one for a while. Yeah, you're uh, headed off to Europe, but not to IBC. No, unfortunately. Yeah, you're going to go to Italy with your girlfriend. Yeah, I'll be too busy drinking wine and riding Vespas, unfortunately. It'd be much more fun standing around in a trade show. Yeah, yeah, well, a, a Dutch trade show. Yeah, I'm pretty fun. sure there's like whips and stuff. Um, well, I'm well as well. My dog's in here. It's very hot, and so it's getting hotter by the minute. That's good. We'll try to drag this out as long as possible. I figured. Um, so should we just jump into some stuff? Mm, well, we could wait a while. <laughs> well, good show, then. Uh, we'll see you. Sure. So what What do you want to talk about? Um, I want to say goodbye to some dearly departed friends of ours who've passed away this week. Passed away from the news. Um, Not yet. Well, they're effectively gone. They're DTM. What does DTM mean? Dead to me. Oh, boy. Okay. I'm starting this out strong. Uh, Steve Ballmer is uh, quote-unquote retiring. Mm -hmm. Steve Ballmer was fired this last week. It sounds like it, yes. Um, This is good news for Microsoft, sort of unequivocally. Well, yeah... It should be. You sound like you're equivocating something that's unequivocal. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? So why? Okay, so start out with why it's good news. Um, you know, Balmer's been in charge of Microsoft since 99, 98, something like that, uh, when Bill Gates retired to um, go full-time, making the world better. And Microsoft has just sort of done nothing. I mean, it's done things, but it, it has felt... Like it's never quite sure what it wants to be, where it wants to go. It doesn't commit to things. It's had, you know, failures in the form of Windows 8 and in the form of Vista. It's had, you know, just and Windows Phone or Windows Phone 7 Phone series and Surface. I mean, they just seem to not know what they want to be or how they want to be it. There's no vision. And I think that goes back to a CEO who um, just, you know, I don't know. I have no love for Steve Ballmer as a visionary. Okay. I agree. Um, the reason why I'm not sure this is good for Microsoft is because he's done a pretty good job of making the company, making it so that he is the only person who can run the company. This is true. I mean, I mean, mostly it seems to be a fairly petty move on his part but he's you know there have been a number of high profile firings of anyone else in the company who could have run it right um you know the people who did the phones the people who did xbox the people who did you know any of their successful projects are gone now right uh and and the other thing is he's been very good you know, he's not that much different than, say, Tim Cook. I mean, he's been very good at the making money part of it. Right. I think the difference is that he hasn't allowed the people under him to really be 
well, or, or I don't know, I guess I, I can't ascribe, um, what exactly I mean, is in. they've, they've shipped a lot of stinkers right? and they give up on them pretty quickly. Right. Um, but I don't know. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, and I don't know whether, you know, it's entirely possible that Microsoft isn't a company that can be sort of, I don't want to use the word saved because they're obviously hugely profitable uh, that, that can't be made innovative again. Um, at least in any, any way that really disrupts things because, um, they're primarily reliant on income from windows and from office and those both and from enterprise stuff. Right. Right. And primarily selling those into enterprise, um, and the sort of support system around it. And they have a lot of great products. I mean, that's, I'm not anti Microsoft in terms of their technology, um, they've got Azure and they've got, you know, obviously the stuff they're doing with Xbox, they, they do a lot of cool stuff. Um, you know, it's just, they're, they're always stuck in this model. They've always been stuck in this model where they know one division can be as awesome as it wants to be because it would disrupt other divisions and there's no corporate stomach for that. Well, I mean, so how much of this is because they're a software company? Um, I mean, I think that's, uh, that's sort of what I was getting at. Just, I mean, if you know, I think the the obvious comparison here is to Apple and Apple doesn't make any money on software. Right. And so who does this? Well, I mean, Oracle's boring as shit. Adobe's, you know, pretty damn boring. Um, who's a big software company that like innovates? Yeah, I think that's a fair comparison. Um, I don't think there are any, I mean, that's not the point. The point is to rake in piles of money and give it to shareholders. Right. And they seem to be doing that really well. Yeah, I I think that's true. I think the problem has been that Microsoft doesn't accept that and they've been trying to be Apple. And, you know, that's been, I think, why they've had some high-profile failures. Yeah. A lot of that seems to be the street. I don't know. You know, what, you know, what, how, how do you, how do you run a company nowadays if the value of your company has nothing to do with how much money you make? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It has to do with you know, how much money day traders think you're worth? I mean, it'll be really interesting. I would sort of assume that whoever they find to be CEO won't last that long and it'll take a few people before they find the right person. Just because there's no one who's been groomed for that role within the company. Right. There's no one left in the company. And the other thing that, you know, has come up in a bunch of the writing about it is, they just started a giant reorganization to be more like Apple. Yeah, I mean, they're moving to a functional company, uh, functional in terms of the organizational structure um, instead of divisional. And um, if you if you want to get into the real nitty-gritty on that, there was an episode of Critical Path of maybe a couple months back when that was announced that really gets into how an organization makes that change. But it's a long-term, massive change. And not many companies have done it. No, I don't have any. Almost, almost no. I mean, lots of companies start out functional and go divisional, and there are right. almost no examples of a company going the other direction. Right. There's like, there's not even a lot of examples of companies that start functional and get big. Right. I mean, Apple is the one big exception. Right. So they're going to hire Scott Forstall to run it. I mean, people bandied that about as a joke, and I don't think that's a joke necessarily. I don't think so either. I think he's, you know, I don't, and who knows or, what he's doing. I don't know that anyone's seen him for a year. What happened to what's his name? Um, 
the Pepsi guy. Is he still around? Uh, I don't remember his name either. Uh, uh, Scully. Scully. Is Gil Amelia still around? I liked Gil. Gil made that Newton. Um, I mean, there'd be plenty of potential good choices um, from the Apple world if, if they wanted to go that route. It'll be interesting to see who the board picks. Um, I think Forstall would jump at the chance. Yeah, he'd love to fight that battle on the big stage. Yeah, yeah. But who knows? Um, the other big uh, departure this week, and not quite the same circumstances, was Jim Jannard announcing that he's sort of stepping back from Red. Right. Um, we talked about this sort of a long time ago, saying it didn't feel like his heart was still in it anymore. He didn't seem to really care. Um, do you know any more inside story on what's this all about? I mean, so in his post, which we'll link to, he basically said he got sick of being made fun of on the internet. Yeah. Which can't, I mean, can't really be the real reason, can it? No, I, th- I mean, he seems like someone, and his track record sort of reflects this, is that he gets bored. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know that it's anything more than that, that, you know, it's fun to have a cool idea and it's fun to be disruptive, but Red is not disruptive anymore. Um, yeah. Does it, you, yeah, they it reached a certain point where they were just slogging with everybody else. I guess try to stay relevant. Yeah. I guess one question will be, I don't know that red is profitable. Um, yeah, I guess I don't really know. So it would be interesting to find out whether he's actually putting money into it. And if so, does this mean, you know, that's going to stop as well? I, I don't know. I mean, when given their pricing and the price of components and R and D and stuff, then the number of staff they have, it's hard to imagine they're profitable, but maybe, I mean, they've sold a lot of them. Well, but a lot in our industry, not a lot in, you know, iPods. Well, yeah, but you don't need to sell a lot in iPods to be profitable. Right. I don't know. I don't know. Um, it'll be interesting to see sort of where Red goes over the next 18 months. And uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, so... I don't know, like... This is something, so this, I don't have a way to get us into a conversation about this, but um, there's, there's, I don't know. So I've been thinking lately about how certain parts of the industry and certain parts of just the, the larger world have gotten to this point now where so capitalism we always need the cool new thing you always got to be selling me the cool new thing and it seems like especially with cameras we've gotten to a point where you don't even need to ever ship the new thing right you know it seems like between kickstarter and everything else like all you need to do is announce it make one talk about it and you know, like, can we get to a point where we just all buy into the idea of all these things and keep our old stuff? <laughs> oh, I was going to ask money? you, uh, how's your pocket cam working out? Yeah, exactly. Or your, I'll, uh, I'll show you some awesome videos from my European trip that I was going to expense as a footage gathering trip. Well, you should just take your Digi Bolex instead. Yeah. I'll just shoot it with my T2i and it'll be fine. <laughs> it'll look just as good as it needs to yeah exactly 
Um, there, I don't know. I mean, part of it is just, you know, you've reached maturity with an industry or a sector and there just stops being that need for the, the pace of innovation that you'd been at. And it becomes but, harder and harder to justify. And but it can't be that because we're, they're pre-selling shit tons of these things. Right? I mean, it's not like there's not, like there's not a market for something better. Yeah. There obviously is. And the money should bear out like market inefficiencies. Like if someone can't ship a cheap camera, someone else should. I mean, we've obviously proven that nobody cares where they get the camera. Like it's not like you need to have a track record of shipping cameras in order to be successful at ship, you know, pre-shipping cameras. So why, you know, why aren't there 40 other people on Kickstarter announcing fake cameras that'll never ship? Yeah. Why I mean, aren't we announcing fake cameras that'll never ship? Well, but I mean, the reality, I mean, I guess I feel like it is somewhat non-trivial to do that. <laughs> to announce them or to ship them? Yeah, to, to, you know, get something up on Kickstarter, get it, have it actually get funded. Yeah. And then, you know, if you have to basically drag the process out ad infinitum because otherwise Kickstarter will try and claw the funds back. What happens? If you actually don't deliver, you have to return the funds. Oh, sure. So everyone just sort of makes it. But I'm not saying this in the in like the notion of a Ponzi scheme. I'm saying like it seems like you can actually start a business this way. Yeah. Like I, you don't have to prove yourself first. You can just say like, you know. No, it flips that whole equation. I mean, look at our file transporters. Yeah. They put no money into it effectively or or whatever. You know, they were able to prove a certain amount of market and then Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so, I mean, do you think we'll see Jennard crop up again in, in our industry, or you have any sense of what his deal is? I don't I mean, maybe, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it. I mean, my initial reaction is probably not. I mean, he's done what he wanted to do. He'll find something else to work on. Yeah. Um, so on the flip side of this equation, and but I, I think they're related, um, is the hyperloop from Elon Musk, mm-hmm. because I, I don't know why, but I, I see him in that sort of camp of, you know, he flits about and does lots of cool things and doesn't necessarily, I, I don't know. He's a character. Millionaire philanthropist playboy. Yeah. Billionaire, but billionaire philanthropist playboy. Um, what do you think? Um, Hyperloop, it is a way to go from one city to another very quickly in a tube that's almost a vacuum, but is in a vacuum. On Kickstarter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, this doesn't, I don't, this is, this seems silly to me. Really? Okay, here's why. The problem, I mean, Okay, the problem has never been like, oh boy, how would we make something go fast? The problem was like, oh boy, we live in America, we don't have infrastructure, and nobody wants anything in their backyard. Okay. If he wrote a white paper about how the fuck you build something in America still, great. But he didn't. Yeah, but isn't the point of the Hyperloop that you can put it on pylons between the lanes of a highway? 
We already own that land. Yeah. Yeah, no. Okay, so we get we get around the like having to, you know, take property from people and, you know, flood parts of the China. Right. But we still don't get around the fact that we don't build anything anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, we built a giant bridge here in San Francisco. It's like one of the largest public works things in a long time in the U.S. And everyone's pissed about it. Because it turns out building things is still hard. What do you think of... um, What would the mechanics be if someone or an organization said, hey, I've got $6 billion, I want to build this. They could, you know, okay, I'll tell you, it's been done once before. It is the monorail at Disney World. You buy a bunch of property and you build a loop on your own property. Wait, what? The oh. monorail. Yeah, the monorail at, at Disney, Disney World. It's the closest thing is we're ever going to get to this. Someone's going to build a hyperloop around their Well, no, but I mean, park. we have like private toll roads in Texas that are, you know, built from scratch by a private entity. I yeah. W- I wonder if California, I mean, that's Texas, but. Yes. Did you say that's Texas? That's Texas. That's, okay. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yes. <laughs> I mean, I just don't, I don't, yeah. I mean, maybe they'll build it somewhere else. That'd be cool. I don't know. I think it's a really cool idea. And I think, you know, there are only certain distances for which it makes sense, but we have a lot of those types of distances in the States. Yeah. But, I don't know. I just don't, I don't, maybe it'll, I don't, I think it's much more likely to happen somewhere else now that it's like an open plan. I think that's true. But I don't think we're ever going to see one in the U.S. Huh. All right. Well, then. Do you? I. Mm, where? Maybe. Where? Here in California where he wants it to be built? I don't think it's impossible. Uh, you, you think it's impossible? I think it's impossible. Um, I mean, more likely there than New England. No. They at least did a, a, a cella. Yeah, on, on, on the, rail lines that were run in the 19th century. Yeah. yeah. But they could they could put the pylons up, tear out the railway, and put up the pylons. Assuming you can move freight on it, too. Yeah. Mm. Maybe like Chicago to Milwaukee. Chicago to, I mean, the perfect distance is Chicago to Minneapolis. Yeah. But, yeah. Oh, well, um, I would love to see it happen, though. I thought it was really cool. I mean, uh, that said, um, and I can throw a link in our show notes to Dr. Drang's piece on it. Did you read that? Mm, I don't think so. He, he, no. he looked at the, he modeled the actual thermal expansion of one of these things. Like mm-hmm. the, you know, if you made it out of steel or whatever, uh, how much it would expand. And it's it's a lot over the course of a, you know, a uh, um, hyperloop from... Oh, you mean if the entire tube got warmed by the sun, how much it would Right, right, right. And it's like hundreds and hundreds of meters. Well, that has to be a solved problem, right? Well, it is, but um, Musk just sort of shoved it aside in his piece. Uh, I mean, the problem, yeah. Um, The problem is if all the tubes are expanding, it's very hard to deal with that through like slip joints and things, I guess. How do they deal with it in like railroad? 
Um, I think each rail is a separate piece and there's a gap between them, isn't there? No, they're all welded together. Mm, I don't know then. Now, now I'm curious. I mean, I guess corners can just sort of move out. Thermal expansion of railroad. How can welded railway tracks cope with thermal expansion? New style tracks known as continuous welded rail use a clever trick in which the steel track is stretched as it is laid down and welded in place. The stretching has the effect of putting more space between the atoms in the steel, giving them more room to move as the temperature builds up, effectively <laughs> reducing the thermal expansion rate of the steel. There you go. Do that with tubes. It reduces the cold weather performance of the steel. I don't know. Good thing we're building this in mythical, functional California. <laughs> Where it never gets cold. And the politicians are... No, no, no. Delightful. They're delightful. Yeah. Um, okay, well, we can move on, and uh, someday I'll come visit you in my Hyperloop. Okay. Yeah, they can make private ones. <laughs> if they, I mean, okay, so seriously, they, they could build a Hyperloop from San Francisco to, to, Mount, to Mountain, Mountain View. View. Yes. Yeah. That would maybe take off. Yeah. You run it out of the water over the bay. I I seriously think they should do that. I do too. Get all those buses out of there. Well, they should just be a faster way to commute between the two. Yeah. Um, well, did you look at this Objective C style guide from the New York Times? I didn't look at theirs. No. What I, do you think of style guides? I mean, it's fine. It's an it's a style guide for writing Objective C. We've written one. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that the Times published theirs, but I guess they're writing a fair amount of Objective C these days. Um. I think it's weird that they wrote their own. Well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it evolved from somewhere, but it sort of makes sense to me that they'd write their own. Or that they would have their own internal one. Yeah, I suppose so. It gives it a certain amount of formality inside an organization, I think. Yeah. Um, I, there was nothing in here that I said like, whoa, that's craziness. Um, right. It all seemed like good, smart stuff to do. But yeah, what do you, what do you, what's your take on style guides in general? I mean, do they actually work and get used sustainably? I mean, we have one. We don't really stick to it. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I mean, I think it's nice to have it stated, um, but you know, it's hard to break old habits, and some things just, you know. What would be nice? Okay, so we have Clang. We have Clang. It's like a thing. It exists and it's cool and it understands our code. Why has no one figured out a way to make like... I mean, I know there are some coding reformatting things, but they all seem to be like regex sort of based or Yak yeah. or something. Yeah, exactly. Why has no one done a nice like Clang based like herpaderp, I fixed your file for you? That'd be pretty sweet. Wouldn't it? Yeah. Can we make that? Um, probably. Or like even even if they just like in Xcode add warnings. What do you mean? Like, you know, where you could turn on and off all the warnings in your build settings? Yeah. Warn if tabs are used instead of spaces. Warn if That'd be nice. Or I mean if if yeah. you know, and you could basically set an entire list of like there'd be like some format you could use to document your coding style and it would say generate a warning anytime I don't follow this. Yeah. 
that would be super cool. Like as you're typing, it'd be like, whoa, you put a space there. There's not supposed to be a space there. Yeah, I mean, I'd be on board with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I guess my, I guess the way I feel about style guides is they're cool and it's nice if you can like agree, everyone agrees on them and everyone sticks to it, but. You know, it's just, it's like everything else with programming. It's another thing you have to think about all the time. Right. And it's something that you shouldn't have to think about. It's something that computers should think about for you. Well, and it can also be tough for at least, you know, some developers, or I would wager most developers in the, you know, Objective-C Cocoa ecosystem switch between projects for multiple clients who could potentially have different style guides. And that's just not something our sort of brains are good at. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, there, there's a lot of the stuff in here is common sense, and it's to, like, keep you from making mistakes, and that's stuff I'm all for. I don't think the readability stuff matters as much, even though I'm kind of a stickler for some of that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm more concerned about the stuff that is designed to sort of, you know, like the brain hacks to keep you from making common mistakes. Yeah. Uh, you know, whatever. Um, anything else from this list you're particularly psyched about at the moment? Um, the, did you look at this half-inch GPS thing from Pixie? I did. It's a Kickstarter project, speaking of. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know about this type of GPS before, did you? Was this? I did. But this um, isn't what's used by, what's it called? Hmm. The fancy one that you had for DARPA. I think it is. I mean, so this one, you need two receivers talking to each other out of band, basically, or in band. Right. So you have two of them, and then you have, like, a radio connection between them. Right. Yeah. So this is actually the same. There's other systems like this, um, including some where the second receiver is not is publicly managed. Ah, uh, okay. So there's an FAA system based on this called WAS, I think, or WAAS, I think, or yeah, something like that. That's a thing I've seen. Yeah. In GPS standards. Yeah, and that is public radio towers, which send out these time discrepancy data things from another from a ground-based GPS receiver. And the idea is that if you have signals from two GPS receivers at different locations, you can use um, use that information to filter out the ionospheric interference that causes error within the GPS signal. Yeah. I mean, so the way that the WAS ones work, we're just going to pretend like that's actually the name of it, um, is they're at a known location. And so the way that they figure out the ionospheric discrepancies is they just check they basically subtract the difference they figure out the delta based on where the gps unit they have on hand tells them they are and where they know they are um and this i think this is a little rtk is a little different because it just requires two randomly placed gps's um And so, I mean, what this Kickstarter is advertising is for 900 bucks, you'll get two of these and, and everything you need to use this. But 
it's certainly so they're promising what centimeter level accuracy sub centimeter um which is pretty substantial oh, four, yeah. four centimeter accuracy but still compared to what you can get with a what you can get in the real world with a gps even a good gps mm-hmm. um is pretty amazing especially if you're building drones or anything that you know you want to have operating autonomously yep um so it's cool. I mean, it's an example of a cool Kickstarter thing. They seem to have it mostly working. Um, yeah, the thing I couldn't tell from this was whether this technology does the... I think you... Like, in order to actually get an accurate location, like, accurate data, you would need to know where the ground-based one is located. No, I don't I think, think so. I think all this does is gets it it gives you closer like it gives you better reproducibility but the shift can still be off so it doesn't actually let you dead reckon your place on the earth any more accurately but it does let you know when you've moved an inch to the left or the right. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm not sure. Mm. That's my understanding. But I mean, even that's enough. I mean, you're not going to use, you're not going to like survey something from a drone. Right. Eh, maybe you will. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I, their description, and I didn't go reading actually anything about RTK um, GPS, but uh, their description is a little vague on how it works. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyways, it's cool. I was impressed. It's not yeah. just another wallet or a smart watch. You don't need any more of those? I've got enough of both of those. I would like a new uh-huh. wallet, but I don't need you one would made look. out of carbon fiber and titanium, which is what all the ones on Kickstarter are. Yeah, come on. You need another watch. I want a leather one with a single fold, not two folds, and it needs to fit American dollars and not just euros. Why do you want a single fold? Because I like a single fold. The two folds too much work. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah. So if you've got a good, nice leather wallet. They're too big then. No, they're the perfect size. Cause, Cause they keep it in my front pocket. Ugh. There's your first problem. Uh. But you can't see. The problem is the ones I want. You get. You see them in Europe, but they're all for euros, and euros are a different shape. Right, which means when you fold the euro in half, it's not crazy fucking big. Well, right. Yeah, exactly. Maybe you should just start spending everything in euro. I could do that. I'm surprised most of the places I frequent don't accept euros already. I'm sure they do. (laughs) Uh, um, IKEA did an augmented reality catalog as a gimmick. I don't think this is actually usable for doing real things, but I haven't tried it. It looked cool, though. Yeah. It was a good gimmick. It's, it's definitely a good gimmick. The way it works is their new catalog apparently has an optical glyph on it. No, nope, they just know it uses SIFT. Oh, okay. So mm-hmm. it knows how big a catalog is, and it knows what the front of the catalog looks like. Right. So it's, it's effectively optical glyph. It is a glyph. Yeah. Yeah. It's just sure. not a... Uh, anyways, and so you put it on your ground and then on your floor... And then you can pick something from the catalog and it draws it in that space. Because it, then it knows where the floor plane is and it knows how big everything is relative to... Right. It's a cool idea. I haven't tried it because I didn't have the catalog. 
it's a cool idea. I want to get the catalog and print giant and tiny versions of it. <laughs> and then file bugs. <laughs> What's wrong? Uh, okay, well. This sofa is huge. <laughs> um, the I'll just throw a link in here. You said um, this is a paper on detecting altered photos by looking at uh, shadow directions and shadow inconsistencies. You saw these people speak at SIGGRAPH? I think so. This document, this link doesn't load for me. Oh, wait, oh, it's it coming. It takes forever it's to a big PDF. It's common. Is this the one where you have to like... It's like, it's not automatic, right? They weren't demoing software, I don't think. They were just talking about ways of extrapolating light direction from a 2D image. And then mm -hmm. sort of, you pick a bunch of points, extrapolate the light directions, and see if they all conform back to a yep, yep. source. This is the one, yep. And so they basically, they have a nice UI for it, where you can mark these shadow direction things. Um. It totally works. And so, yeah, I mean, it's cool. The problem with it is that it only works with um, point lights. Right. Um, but other than that, it works. Yeah, I mean, it. it's the sort of thing that I guess... It's the sort of thing you would look at if you were trying to determine whether a photo was fake and you were, you know, trained in all of these things, but... To have software that can help do it in a reliable way, I think, is pretty interesting. But um, it's only ever going to be one component of forensic investigation of photos. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, you can't disprove a photo. Right. Or no, uh, you can't prove a photo. You can only disprove it. Right. And yeah. Yeah. Um, but combined with, you know, we've seen over the years a number of different papers on different things you can look at in an image to try and determine whether it's been modified. So um, presumably you can stack a lot of those things up and get a better sense of what's real and what's not. Yeah. Until, you know, Adobe buys this paper, buys these researchers, and then has them write the inverse as a Photoshop plugin, like fix shadows. Hmm. That'd be good. Yeah. Um, we talked a while back about, uh, glass lenses that could fix colorblindness by amplifying certain wavelengths and, and shifting them and things. Um, like slowing down light. Yeah. And so David Pogue at the New York times reviewed a pair. I don't think it's from the same researchers because there are a number of people doing similar, but different things in this space. And he said, cause he's colorblind. He said, yes, they work. Um, but they're $600. <laughs> And I was like, so these things let you see color. Yeah, but it doesn't. And your insurance covers them, presumably. No, I bet it doesn't. Does it? They're glasses. I mean, good insurance covers glasses. Not sunglasses. Um, I don't know. But yeah, I, I just it was the funniest article because he's like, yeah, let me see colors I'd never seen before. But it's pretty but it expensive. It doesn't, does, wait, it can't let you see colors you haven't seen before. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, 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 no. Because all it does is it moves them into another color. No, it also, um, it, right? I can't view it because I'm out of New York Times articles. Yeah, I know. I can't. I think you put a broken link in here. Is that why? I think so, because I can't view it either. Let me try in Chrome. 
Oh, I can view it in Chrome. I'm, I've hacked their system. Let me just search for it on Google. <laughs> we should do a thing where we just bitch about paywalls sometime, too. That would be a fun episode. I took them outside on a sunny day and was floored. I mean, I had a visceral reaction to what I saw. Colors I see just fine. Blues, yellows, oranges looked exactly the same. But all of a sudden, greens and reds looked richer. It was almost impossible to describe in words. In fact, it's impossible for normal vision people to understand, even by wearing them, because they don't do anything for normal people. What? Um, An old brown Vermont barn roof was revealed quite clearly to be salmon red. Yards full of leafy trees and plants suddenly had different shades of green. Everywhere I looked, desaturated or barely discernible red things were popping. How does... Wait. I don't under... Wait. I guess I'm confused how these work. Okay, well then he's a whiny bitch if he thinks 600 bucks is too much. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I've actually read a few articles on how it works and I still don't understand how it works. My understand... Because, wait... Uh, okay, I guess. Now I'm confused. Yeah. We'll have to get a pair and then get colorblind. Okay. I'll do the first part. Mm, no. Okay. What else we got? Um, I don't know. I've lost Google. There, Google. Uh, you can control Final Cut X with a leap motion. Does it work? Have you tried it? Are you using your leap motion every day? Has it transformed the way you interact with technology? No. Oh. I actually haven't taken it out of the thing. <laughs> I'm still waiting for them to do what I want them to do in their SDK. Yeah. Because I don't want to use it to, like, control applications. Ugh. Yeah. What would be... Okay. So this, yeah. I don't... This I don't understand. This is like that... You know that demo they showed of the cutting the MIT thing with Negroponte showing off his, like, you know, I don't get it. Yeah, I agree. It's not the right use for gestures. No, it's not. I mean, I get gestures maybe to control moving between spaces on your Mac and, you know, things like that. But Mm -hmm. actually, and and even then, I mean, I wouldn't use them, but I can at least sort of understand that, but actually using them to run Final Cut. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, there's there's a problem of assuming that the mouse is the best solution just because we got to it early. But right. like the the thing that the mouse has that's just so great is that it gives you very fine control. And you don't have to hold your arm up in space. Yeah. I don't know. I mean I think I'm I'm more interested in seeing as people iterate on touch interfaces because I think there is a lot that can be done there, especially if Apple or someone, you know, or Adobe or someone really wanted to do a companion app that was really awesome and really took advantage of touch and transformed the way you worked with an NLE. Yeah, no, if they made like a giant track, multi-finger trackpad. Yeah, essentially. A la an iPad, but not like right. a USB iPad. Right. 
<coughs> Gesundheit. Excuse me. Okay. Oh, I think I broke my sternum. Um, yeah, I mean, I you know, there are lots of opportunities for multi-touch. And there are lots of... But I don't get the point of this. Yeah. I'm in the same camp. Um, I, yeah. 3D would be nice. I hope someone adds Leap. I can see Leap coming to, like... Maya or something. Yeah, another um, in the in the line of things that Elon Musk is promising is they have a real time. He says they have yeah, a real time holographic interactive three D modeling environment that then you press print and it comes out in titanium. Yeah, that part I believe. The other part I'm a little skeptical as to the. Uh, he didn't say holographic. Yeah, he did. No, he said it would be nice if it was how long. Oh, okay. I think I think it's like a leap and Yeah. I mean yeah, I, you, I don't you said you can wave your hands around and model things in three D. Yeah, I don't doubt that they have it. I doubt that any of their designers or engineers actually use it. He does when he Yeah, I mean I'm sure it's what? really cool in the lobby or in the executive conference room or something, and then you can like, you know, sculpt the investor's name and then hit print and give them a titanium block of their name. Like, yeah you don't think you don't think this is better for doing fine tolerances than autocad <laughs> i mean um i would drive Hold a car on, let me let me rest my elbows on the table so i can get this to the right millimeter here yeah i'd, I'd design a car designed in or drive a car designed in sketchup <laughs> no no no. we're talking about space these are rocket engines oh right this is for spacex not for his other company exactly oh okay well then, it's much more. I don't know. Anyways, yeah, you know, it's cool. Let's get one. Yeah, the problem with Musk is you can't mock him too much because, of course, he's done most of the things he said he'd do. Yeah, uh, it sort of ruins the fun. Okay. Um, do you care about any of these other stories? This aviation video was just cool stuff. We should throw a link. Yeah, in we'll link it. It looks neat. Planes. Yeah, very nicely. I mean, it's a promotional thing for a company that does video of planes planes from planes yeah but they did a really good job of it so you should hire them if you need that if you have a plane you need footage of from a, from a plane from a plane otherwise um and should undercut them with drones um, i think it's probably a bit those battery operated drones do they go what do you need 450 miles an hour a little bit more than that to keep up with like an f-18 but I don't think. I mean, they're shooting from a Learjet. It can't go much faster than that. Five hundred miles an hour? Maybe. I didn't know that all of them were from a Learjet. They did said on their Vimeo. Oh, okay. So I didn't read them. Shot this from a highly modified Learjet. Okay. Um, sculpt is not, nothing. I'm going to take that out. Um, okay. so there is a video I'll link to just since we brought it up last week or a couple weeks ago. Um, Windows 8.1 has. 3D printing built in in the same way that 2D printing is so that you can have like normal print drivers for a 3D printer and from apps that implement it you can go file print and print to your MakerBot um, and so there's a video from Extreme Tech or someone um, demoing how it actually works which is forward looking yeah absolutely good for them yeah Microsoft man but I mean this is it's a great example of like it's in there. Is it part of some larger vision Microsoft has about 3D printing? Are they 
Or is it no. just a thing they added that now they have to maintain forever? You know, that's yeah. Microsoft's problem. I mean, and that, I think, ironically, is was also Apple's problem with Scott Forstall. And so that may mean that he's an even better fit. Like he really likes to throw things in, even if they're a little half-baked and isn't necessarily as worried about the long term. Hmm. You know? Yeah, I'll buy that. I don't know. Chatter. Chatter. You want to go or should I? Um, I just got a video here. It's made its way around the internet by now. Most people have probably seen it, but it's um, it's a really cool example of what you can do with you want to shoot a wedding video with a drone. Yeah, yeah. You should hire this guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't actually find out. Did anyone get hurt? Ah, that's not the important part. Okay. Um, I don't have any. I'm not attending any weddings anytime soon, but next time, next one I do, I'll definitely bring my drone. Okay. Um, my chatter this week is uh, Nautilus Live. If you don't already know, nautiluslive.org is the website where you can watch the streaming video from the EV Nautilus, which is a boat that is currently off the coast of Grand Cayman, uh, running a couple ROVs exploring the Cayman Trough, um, and it is run by the organization that was founded by Bob Ballard, who you may know as the guy who found the Titanic and the Thresher and a variety of other things that were underwater. Um, and so I now, think you mean David Cameron, don't you? Different, different, different guy. And David Cameron's the uh, Prime Minister of Britain. What's the other? What's? I think you mean James Cameron. James Cameron. Yeah, you mean him. Uh, I thought we were doing the I think you're thinking of game, but yeah, um, similar. Anyways, so they've got two ROVs. They're looking at hydrothermal vents and underwater volcanoes and stuff. And you should tune in because uh, I'm watching a lot of it. Okay. Good chat. You want to just talk a little bit more? See, we could just do next week's episodes, and we could do the next two weeks because you're going to be gone. Yeah. Let's okay. just let's just sit around and. Yeah. Should we do some code Not reviews? Not turn here? on any AC. Yeah, this seems like a good time to just go through and really review in depth every line of code. Yeah. Um, for I'm, the, for the works for me. Okay. I'll just tab over to Xcode here. Okay. So, pound import. QuickTime okay. slash QuickTime.h. Pound import. QuickTime slash import. Why are we importing both of those? QuickTime.h doesn't include that. Okay, let's let these poor people go. I could keep. I could go all day with this. You and I will stay on, but we'll get rid of them. I'm gonna. Oh, yeah, because I would leak our trade secrets once we got past like, you know, minus open paren id close paren init open curly. Now we're into proprietary data. True. Delegate equals nil. Okay. Bye. Bye.